Oh, hey, didn't see you there. Welcome to Malaspina Theatre Podcast, recorded in our beautiful Malaspina Theatre Lobby on Vancouver Island University's Nanaimo campus. Every episode, we will feature members of our community on a wide variety of different topics, themes, and styles of podcasting. Our goal is to foster discussions important to our community members and highlight emerging talent. We would like to acknowledge and thank the Snanaimans, Watson, Kalaman, and Snonoas, and Qualicum First Nations on whose traditional lands we teach, learn, research, live, and share knowledge. Hello, my name is Alex, and welcome to the Malasapina Theatre Podcast. Today I'm hoping to discuss LGBTQ plus representation um, in terms of growing up and the change in rights and about how LGBTQ plus representation in the media has sort of changed. Um, I'm joined by some very lovely guests who I'm going to let introduce themselves. I'm Rowan O'Callaghan. I'm a student here at Malaspina. I'm an acting student. Um, my pronouns are she, her. Hi, I'm Marnie Stanley, and I'm the Dean of the Faculty of Arts and Humanities at Vancouver Island University, where we are located. And um, I'm a former instructor in both English and Studies in Women and Gender. And I'm a boomer, so I'm representing the older generation here. Hi, my name is Chris East. I uh, work here at VIU. I am the assistant manager in student affairs. Uh, and for the last three years, I've also been the chair of the Positive Space Alliance. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, uh, and I am representing uh, the millennial demographic. And just again, my name's Alex. I'm a third year um, Bachelor of Arts student majoring in psychology as well as a theater student. And my pronouns are he or they. Um, yeah, and I'm rep- me and Rowan are both representing the young people, Gen Z. Um, so today I'm wanting to talk about LGBTQ plus representation. And I first want to clarify, like when we're saying LGBTQ plus, we're referring to anyone who kind of belongs within that sexual and gender minority groups. Um, so this can include gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and anything otherwise that's like queer or questioning. Um, yeah, so Marnie and Chris, I want to hear from you guys. Both of you are of different generations than I am, and we've all had very different experiences growing up and being a part of the LGBTQ community. Um, I grew up in Calgary, which is a fairly accepting place of my identity, and I've been privileged enough to have access to friends and support groups and gender-affirming care where I needed it. And so I'm curious about your experiences growing up. So Marnie here, I grew up in northern Alberta in a farming area, so there weren't any out LGBT people, and I don't really think there is yet. I keep asking my sister, who lives there, um, and the other people I know that were somewhere on the queer spectrum uh, that I grew up around that I found out later were also identifying, um, have all left as well. Or um, So I think, and there wasn't any media representation other than occasional film representation that was very negative in the in the movies usually ending in death um like the killing of sister george or the that movie where one of the lesbians gets killed by a falling tree that's based on a dh lawrence novel (laughs) that kind of thing and there were no out teachers and when i went to university at the university of alberta there was no out faculty although i later knew that i was taught by some 
queer faculty, and but they weren't comfortable being out, and I don't blame them for that. And there were no out actors on television or um, you know media people like news people or things like that. That all emerged later, and a lot of it emerged as a as a consequence of AIDS, actually. So the mid '80s to the mid '90s, that um, decade brought out a lot of people, partly out of activism uh, and the necessity of fighting back. So I think that that speeded up the change in representation from my perspective anyway. I grew up in northern BC. Uh, I put, I always say northern BC in air quotes uh, because actually it was the middle of the province, but it's not hard to get to the realm of things where people suddenly classify uh, as northern. Uh, but I grew up in a small town. I think the population was about uh, 10,000, and this was through the late 80s and 90s, and there wasn't uh, anybody queer. Uh, I think I had a gym teacher. Uh, who might have been a lesbian, uh, but I'm not certain. Uh, but that was what, uh, uh, yeah, that was what we all thought. And um, other than that, uh, media representation wasn't very great at the time. I remember watching the American version of Queer as Folk on uh, TV in secret in the basement at like 11 o'clock at night, maybe it was on at midnight, uh, with my hand on the remote control of the, the channel return button that would bring you back to the last channel you'd been on, uh, because that would have been an issue if anybody walked in on me watching that show. Um, I was probably too young to be watching it anyway, uh, but there would have been other issues with that. Uh, and really the only other thing that was on at the time was, um, was Will and Grace. Uh, but just kind of with, uh, you know, my perceptions of the household that I grew up in and, and that, uh, that was kind of a no-go uh, for, for me, uh, because then that would have led to, well, why are you watching this show? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there wasn't uh, a lot of that engagement. I'm going to go with the word engagement. Uh, with uh, the community or with uh, the identity from my perspective. And then after, uh, after high school is when I came out, and I was the first person. Uh, obviously, there were people before me, but as uh, Marnie had said, they had, uh, they had left uh, because what was, what was in uh, my hometown for them Nothing really. And so, yeah, I was kind of like the first person of my age group to come out. And I uh, got asked a lot of wild questions. <laughs> um, I mean, there were people who, who, within my age group or within my peer group, who came out after the fact. Um, but potentially, uh, that was maybe when they had uh, left that community or when they were getting ready to leave. Um, but not... Uh, yeah, not kind of while they were cemented within the community. Yeah, no, I uh, I grew up uh, with I think gay representation was a lot more. It felt it was it was distant, but it was there. It was like um, growing up like in Nanaimo and on the island. I feel like it's it's pretty accepting here. It's pretty like thing, especially in like you know twenty tens mid 2000s um you know i mean i watched like glee and stuff like that and it was like um 
it's it's interesting especially now I find um in like say 2023 I find a lot of like younger people younger than me even are like looking at things like glee and stuff and they're like oh this is really offensive and this is really like stereotypical and it was and is but it also like Kurt Hummel like opened up this uh, way to have a conversation about that kind of thing with your parents and you'd be sitting and you'd be watching this tv show with your parents and it was like like for me personally like I saw something that could be me but I I've still had that kind of like voice of like everyone around me being like no but you're not like you're straight like you that couldn't be you um, but that does exist and that is okay just just over there <laughs> you know um, and then like you know, as I became a teenager and as I'm growing up, it's just like there's, it's almost like representation definitely feels a lot more real and concrete and it's a lot less unspeakable, um, which is really great. And, you know, I mean, like, I think more and more young people are able to come to terms like they don't have, it's not just the one, like you graduate high school and then you come out and like, and it's just the one person in your grad class. Like when I was in high school, there were like lots of people who came out, but they still did face like backlash. Absolutely. And like lots of rumors and really like not nice things. Um, But I definitely think that like the increase of media and representation for uh, queer people has done a lot I think for uh allowing that to be accepted widely yeah something you mentioned was how um there is sort of like a divide between representation in media versus like being gay in the real world and so um I'm curious about like what do you guys think of that do you think representation is always helpful I find sometimes especially on media you see where a lot of older shows, the person who was gay, that was like the main part of their identity. While now we see there are um, LGBTQ plus people who are being featured on shows, but that's not a part of their identity. Do you think that, like, have you also seen that change? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it goes back to as well something that Marnie had said about uh, what I'm going to call like the, bur- the bury your gaze trope. Because uh, uh, she had mentioned um, uh, a film, uh, I've already forgotten the name, uh, but where the the lesbian character died, and that was often. I mean, it is still off, um, something that's that's common is where there's a gay character that's introduced, and then, oh well, this person has now died. Uh, but I think that there is definitely progress that has been made in what the representation is, because. Uh, Queer, queerest folk, uh, I haven't watched the British version, but with the American version, uh, like they were very much like full realized characters or realized people. Uh, but a lot of times things outside of that, they wouldn't be, it would just be, oh, here's the person who is uh, like the butt of the joke. How can we use this to elicit a laugh? Uh, and queer people aren't the only people who have been used in that way uh, within the media. But that it is much more common now to see queer people as fully realized characters, to not just be a side character um, or to be a person who's there for an episode or for 10 minutes or whatever it is, but to actually have full story arcs about them uh, or to have them as the primary characters. So that's definitely a a shift. uh, Because as I was saying, I couldn't find shows. Uh, Not that, again, I would have been able to watch it because like 
the two that I could find. Uh, I couldn't really watch. But now, now it is like I log into Netflix and there is the LGBTQ section. Uh, and there is more of that access. And the range is so much better. Like they, when I think about my childhood, so first of all, it was the death. Like everybody that was a queer character, either they were a complete joke. Like we all assumed Paul Lynch was homosexual. He played an uncle on Bewitched, and then he was in Hollywood Squares all the time, and he made all the really camp jokes. So you had that sort of clowning character, but he was kind of unique. I mean, I can't remember anybody else on American TV that was as as campy as he was. Um, in that period, you know, coming on in the very late 60s and into the 70s. But then you had all of these movies, mostly movies rather than TV representation, that was all, the gay characters were either the murderer or they were uh, the victim or they killed themselves or, you know, the, the, the member of the partnership that was um, the, the more cisgendered, sort of straight-looking one, whether it was male or female, because there was no bi or anything, it was all just gay and lesbian, that they would be um, suddenly converted and go straight. Or <laughs> you had the famous Moldavian wedding massacre in Dynasty, where you know they finally have a gay character on one of those evening soap operas. And then they, like, they, he's going to marry his gay lover, and then they're all shot. It, I guess it's insane. And then the surviving one suddenly becomes straight. Um, so instead of the gay for you, it was like the straight thing. And then, and then you get, you know, now. So then you have the 80s through the 90s, and you have that transformation that I think was partly created by, as I said, the, the struggle for over AIDS and the struggle to get health care and the struggle to get people to pay attention and all the activism and art and creativity that was generated by that struggle. And then you had a lot of very sad movies about men dying of AIDS. I mean, there was some spectacularly good films, but it was pretty grim because the reality was really grim. That it was killing hundreds of thousands of people. But then you had out of that emerge writers like Russell T. Davies, who you mentioned, who, who wrote Queer as Folk, the original British one, and then he more recently wrote It's a Sin, which really goes back and looks at that period really beautifully and really well. But he also worked really good and robust queer characters into things like his science fiction work for Torchwood and stuff like that. So you have the beginning of this proliferation of a variety of queer characters. So you have trans characters, you have bi and questioning, and you have actors that are out that are different races, and all of that is creating just so much richer uh, representation. So now it's not just that if you're kind of cis and, you know, either gay or, or lesbian, you can find a representation. Now you can find a representation. You think of a show like sense that was brilliant. You know, the range of sexualities, the range of characters, and the range of actors that were playing those characters. It was truly outstanding. Yeah, when do you think, like, that change really, really started to happen? Well, it's definitely this century. <laughs> I would say... I would say the last 15 years, it get, the richness of diversity really comes on in the last 15 years. I feel like I would say that with the introduction of streaming is when I really noticed it. Uh, or maybe um, um, like with the rise uh, of YouTube. 
that is something where I really noticed an, an increase and so obviously not formalized media with it being YouTube um, but with so many more people having access to a platform in order to uh, share a voice and so that's when I really uh, was able to be like oh look <laughs> uh, there are all of these different like diverse perspectives uh, out there and it's not just trying to maybe connect with people in my own community where all of a sudden I'm able to hear this a broad range of experience uh, of people telling their own story. And, uh, you know, at that time, I wasn't really tapped. I mean, I've never really been tapped into, like, cable media or, or uh, televised media. So, you know, am I, am I the best person to really, to really say when did I no notice a change? Because I was just oblivious. Uh, but... That piece then stemming to when I went back into, you know, more of that formal media consumption through Netflix primarily, but with that streaming option uh, and being able to see what was out there. Yeah, I agree with you, whereas like, or at least for me personally, I saw um, sort of two waves of it. So there was YouTube that came in and tons of YouTubers were gay and trans and it was really great. I grew up watching YouTubers. So that was sort of my way of seeing representation in the media. And then there was this sort of second wave. Um, I think like sort of like 2020 almost where everything like Netflix started coming out with lots of stuff and on media, like the, um, sort of like the professional media, I guess things started showing up. Um, yeah. I think of BuzzFeed uh, yeah. as well. Like, uh, and, and not necessarily like the, the written work, but, but again with, with their YouTube content, where like BuzzFeed was kind of a thing where, where there were these creatives who were able to be working in more of like an industry kind of format. And so that did obviously like tie into their written, into their written stuff as well. Um, but just with, that platform uh, and, and the format of media that they were that they were working with, where it wasn't necessarily um, like creative story driven, it was maybe more experience driven um, about demonstrating whatever. Uh, but that's that's a piece of, of I think the formal formal. Can I call that formal media? I'm going to call it formal media yeah, uh, of where, where I noticed uh, noticed it transitioning maybe more into into the mainstream. Yeah, no, I'd say, um, I'd say like probably the internet really caused, because it's like, I mean, the first time in history that like large swaths of people can come together and anonymously share information and opinions and, and create communities that can be completely anonymous, um, which just allowed, I think, for more like exploration and questioning and like this, you know, I mean gender and sexuality shouldn't be so rigid it shouldn't it shouldn't even really be a conversation the fact like that we are having this conversation of like oh people you know like girls like girls and boys like girls or boys like boys and it's like that's not that crazy of a concept but like we've made it to be um so yeah I mean the internet just like completely opened that up and made it just like safe and so I definitely think, like, through the 2010s, it got more and more, like, free. And, yeah, I totally, I think of BuzzFeed. I think of, like, this, like, uh, internet age of, like, freedom. 
and this idea that like, you know, we can all be weird and crazy and we're all like thing. And then I almost say, I'd say in the last like five ish years, like it's definitely, there's been a growing moral panic about gay and trans people um, that I wasn't seeing in like 2015, 2016. Like it was, I mean, of course it's always there, but like now I'm, I'm seeing a lot more like, I think the increase of media representation and then you have people going, oh, it's too much. That's not, that's not realistic. You're being, you're forcing it down my throat, all that kind of thing. And so then there's this counter movement kind of growing that's been happening. And it's just, it's like, it's the fact of like gender and sexuality becoming politicized is really silly, I think. Yeah, I think it feeds into the right wing. Um, there's some interesting theorists that argue that it, it's actually to do with, you know, the rise of neoliberalism and the alienation of people from the notion of society because the, the neoliberal foundational premise is that, you know, everybody's an individual and everybody's responsible for their own life and there's no collective. And it didn't, you know, it was appealing in the 80s because people thought it was going to bring them wealth or, you know, better, more money. And it didn't because it was never designed to do that. It was designed to make really rich people richer. But that promise didn't play out. And so now the right-wing politicians, that the real fear mongers like, that you see in places like Hungary or somebody like Trump in America or those kind of politicians, Bolsonaro and so on, they play the populace, they play to this notion that your family you know, is the sacred thing that you need to protect and you need to protect gender. And so you get people doing protests where they like protest gender. They hold signs that say stop gender. Like it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but, but it doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense because ideologically it speaks to this idea that that's what you can control. You can't control the economy, you can't control the state, you can't control viruses. But, you know, in your household, and so it goes to that moral panic about protecting children. And so now we see in the United States, and so far it hasn't really caught on in Canada, but we have a different, we have some different foundational laws, thank God, that make, or the goddess or whatever, <laughs> powers, um, you know, that make it harder to pass some of the crazy laws they're passing. But they've literally passed hundreds of anti-trans, especially, or LGBT more broadly, laws in the last couple of years, and the the fear mongering. I mean, you can see even in the school shooting this week that they um, or last week the, the the use of that to try to up the fear mongering by some of the more extremist politicians, and that's really sad. And I agree with you; that's pretty recent, but it's getting really vicious. And we need to be really cognizant as Canadians to to active actively work against it coming over the border. Absolutely. Where do you think we're going with it? Do you think it's going to get worse before it gets better? Is it going to get better? <laughs> that phrase, it gets better, of course, I associate with that movement, right, that um, of about, what was that, about a decade ago, that it gets better movement Dan Savage and others were involved in. And I understood the ethos behind that, but, it, but it's, it's, it's not fair to young people to say it gets better. It doesn't get better for everybody equally. You know, systemic issues obstruct people's capacity and people can't necessarily be safely out, right? Some people aren't safe in their own family. Some people aren't safe in their faith. Some people aren't safe in their community. Um, 
you know, so there's all kinds of ways in which we can't just say it's going to get better. But I think, generally speaking, the studies show that, you know, in Canada, there's good support for marriage equity. There's good support. You know, most most Canadians aren't protesting drag queens reading in the library. Most, you know, so there we're not heading down the path and we don't have those kind of really powerful really really right-wing politicians like they have in people like DeSantos in Florida and and so on we have some of those politicians but they tend to be kind of back back of the house politicians um and I come from Alberta so that's like the homeland of a lot of those politicians um the ones that say that all homosexuals are going to burn in hell that kind of thing um so I'm, I'm used to that, but they don't get the same traction here. And we have some key laws. One of the most important things in Canadian law, as far as I'm concerned, is that our jurisprudence, our, our theory of law, has to take into account what's called the living tree doctrine, which comes from the 1929 persons case, which says that the law needs to follow where the people are now. And so America has that constitutionality where they can keep going back to the 1770s and say that's where we need to be, but we don't have that. And so they've filled their Supreme Court with crazy judges who believe in that originality and believe that they should be returning to their origins, which was this, you know, patriarchal, racist state, whatever, where there were only two genders. (laughs) They didn't get to make choices about who they loved. And... We don't have that. We have the living tree doctrine, and I am grateful for it every day, I have to say. As a woman, as a queer woman, as a woman of my age, all of those things, I'm really, really glad we have the living tree doctrine because I think it makes a big difference to how our, how our legislators legislate. That was beautifully put. Thank you. Big fan of that piece of law. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I mean, it's one of the reasons it's harder to get rid of abortion now in Canada. It's harder to, to roll back LGBT rights in Canada, right? And, I mean, when my wife and I married, we argued for about five years after we could marry because we're both, le- like, lesbian feminist theorists. So it's not a simple decision to get married because it's like, is it bourgeois to get married <laughs> or is it radical to get married? And it was finally Harper <laughs> deciding that he was going to try to roll back marriage equity and get rid of it that made us think that we would really enjoy being part of a class action suit against Harper. So we should get married so that we can <laughs> sign up if he tries it, the bastard. Anyway, so we got married. He didn't try it, but we're still happily married many years later. <laughs> That's I, lovely. I absolutely admire your wit and how every time someone tells you to do something, you do the complete opposite of like what they're trying to get you to do and how you just like stand up for what you want and what you believe in. I really admire that. Well, thank you. I, I hope... You find people that help you do the same when you need to, you know, because it, it's all about having friends and having community. And for me, that meant getting out of the really small place that I came from to find that community. But that's that kind of backup, mm-hmm. you know, is what makes it possible to, to do things, to be an activist, even in a small way, right? And you have to always decide, you know, for each thing that you take on, 
do I have the energy to see this one through or whatever? But, you know, you can't be an activist about everything, but you have to make sure that you take on some battles for the cause, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, I think we're about at time. Does anyone else have anything they want to add? Okay, well. I just want to say thank you for putting this together. It's yes. really fun. Yes. It's fun to sit down with yeah. three generations having this conversation. It's really great. Yes, I want to thank um, Rowan, Marnie, and Chris for all joining me. I am incredibly grateful for all of you for taking the time. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Bye-bye.